0: good morning welcome to church glad you are here this morning kids you can be dismissed you are off to children's church have a great time we will miss you for some of your parents this is the only hour of peace they get so hey i want to show you guys something that i came across on the internet that i think is ridiculous I don't know if anyone has seen this yet, but take a look at this up on the screen. This is called the Sphere. Has anybody heard of this? It's in Las Vegas. It's the newest attraction in Las Vegas. It stands 360 feet tall. It is a spherical video display. Video goes all the way around the Sphere and broadcasts into the Las Vegas nightlight. Construction of the sphere began in 2020, it's taken a few years, it is now complete and on July 4th, basically the sphere came to life for the first time with some of the video that you're seeing here. Can you imagine if you were driving by and this giant thing just popped to life in front of you? You'd be freaking out, right? You'd be like, whoa, what is going on? So they can project video of any kind on the outside of the sphere here. It's got, it's 36 stories tall. This thing is a true skyscraper, 36 stories tall. It's got 1.2 million individual LEDs on it that they use to project all those images. But this is crazy on the inside of the sphere is another video screen on the interior wall. And the sphere itself is an 18,000 seat auditorium. It's an auditorium with 18,000 seats with a video wall that surrounds you all the way around. It's got audio and video that immerses you in the venue. It's got millions and millions of high resolution pixels on the inside. It's gonna be used for concerts, uh, theatrical performances, immersive art. Anybody been to Soarin' Over California at Disneyland? Imagine that, but on like steroids, okay? It's wrapped all the way around you and taking you in. You can experience being underwater. You can experience flying in space. You can experience uh, going through a forest, and it just feels like it is all around you like that. So the Sphere is set to open in just a couple of weeks. Uh, September 29th, U2 is kicking off their world tour there at the Sphere. Who would like to go see the Sphere in Las Vegas? Doesn't it seem amazing? Doesn't it seem incredible? Doesn't it seem awesome? Now, here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine that you are coming from some very small town in a place from maybe a little farming town in Nebraska. Or or maybe you're coming from Kansas or, or North Dakota. And for the first time, you drive down the Las Vegas Strip and the sphere comes to life in front of you. Can you imagine how blown away you would be, right? You'd be like... Do you know what I'm talking about? Wouldn't you be like that? I would be like that. This morning, we are going back to the book of Acts, and I have got a whole story to tell you this morning from the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 19. You've got sermon notes in front of you. I'd love for you to follow along, but we are back in Acts, and we're working our way through that story here where Paul is gonna launch out on his third missionary journey. And this is the map of his third missionary journey right here. You can see Paul is going to start off again from Antioch, and he's going to end up in Ephesus at the beginning of this journey. Today, he will have gone through Tarsus, Derbe, Iconium, Lystra, Antioch, all places where he planted churches, but today he will end up in Ephesus, and so I want you to see Acts chapter 19, verse 1, it says this, there we go, while Apollos was in Corinth, Apollos was one of Paul's Contemporaries, another preacher, if you remember from last week, but Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached where? Oh, oh you gotta say it like you mean it, people. Where? Where? You ever been to Ephesus? Do you want to go to Ephesus? I promise you, you wanna go to Ephesus. Wait a second, I want you to see this. It's on the coast where he found several believers here. Let me tell you about Ephesus. Ephesus is the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. There are about 500,000 people that live in Ephesus, which is massive by ancient times, right? Ephesus is a gateway city, right? It goes to the rest of the Roman world. Everybody who is going into the Roman world goes through Ephesus. And so this is all happening in what is, they called it Asia. Now it's modern day Turkey, but basically you're going to see the city of Ephesus. You want to see what the city of Ephesus looks like? You want to see what it looks like? This is what it looks like today. Not bad, huh? Not bad. It's a port city. It's got those long docks out there to the left there are for cruise ships that frequent there all the time. Glenn Barnes, if you are watching this right now, we know where you're going. We know, just know that we know. We know where you're going, okay? And we are not bitter. Some of us are bitter. Some of us are bitter. Um, That is what Ephesus looks like today. It is an amazing place, okay? But just over that hill, up at the top of the thing, you will come to the ancient ruins of Ephesus. You want to see the ancient ruins of Ephesus? There it is. These are the ruins of ancient Ephesus, all right? And so uh, you see uh, there in the ruins there, you see at the end there is one of the largest libraries of ancient time. They have actually painstakingly recreated that from the pieces of this library. There's a close-up of that library. If you go to the next slide there, and you can see they've recreated this massive library that was there in Ephesus, right? But I want to give you just a little bit of perspective on this place before I tell you this story today. You need to understand what we're going to see here in Acts today. Now, the first is this. Carved into the hillside in Ephesus is a 24,000 seat amphitheater. Take a look at this. 24,000 seats. This is the ancient world, okay? 24,000 seats, 2,000 years ago. This is the sphere in Ephesus. If you came from some little agrarian, cattle, farming town, and you walked into Ephesus and you saw an amphitheater that had 24,000 seats, your mind would be blown. You would be like, what in the world is happening here? I can't believe that this is in the world at all, right? I mean, most towns in the ancient world had 100 to 500 people, something like that, but this is Ephesus. Ephesus had an attraction kind of like the sphere. In fact... I think Mick Jagger played here. How old is Mick Jagger? He's like 2,000 now, isn't he, or something like that? No, this is an unbelievable venue for a place like this in the ancient world, all right? People were talking about Ephesus. Everybody was like, have you seen Ephesus? You won't believe what it's like in Ephesus. You have got to visit Ephesus. What happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus, right? That's what this is about, right? You've got a 24,000-seat auditorium. You're not going to believe it. I've never seen anything like it. But get this, the auditorium is not even the main attraction. What you really have to see, what you really need to see, is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's the Temple of Diana. That's what they called it, the Romans called it, the Temple of Diana. What they called it in Ephesus was the Temple of Artemis. That was the name locally there. And so this Temple of Artemis has 117 columns, that all stand 60 feet tall. They weigh 15 tons, each of them, okay? 15 tons, and it's standing at the top of this city. How many people would love to go see this? How many people wanna go see this? It would be unbelievable. You wanna see what it looks like today? It looks like, it's a little disappointing today, okay? It's a little disappointing now. It, uh, it has been completely demolished and ruined. One of the seven wonders of the world is completely torn down. But it's, it's this unbelievable place because that 24,000 seat amphitheater you can actually still go to. You can actually still sit in that amphitheater. It's there right now. You can still visit it. Now I want you to put yourself in the scene. I'm doing everything I can to get you to put yourself in the scene. You're walking into this town of Ephesus. You've come from some little podunk farming town, an agrarian town, right? A hundred people, maybe 200 people. Your options of finding a wife are limited. You know what I'm saying? Your cousin looks, yeah, I guess it's going to have to be my cousin, right? There's only 100 people in this town. But you walk into Ephesus and you are like, whoa, this is unbelievable. And so inside this temple, go back to the temple. I think I actually have another side of the temple. Inside of this temple, the reason that they built this temple is there's a meteorite that has struck the ground. There's a meteorite that has struck the ground, and the people who found the meteorite said, wow, this must be from the gods, and it looks like a god. In fact, it looks like a beautiful woman. That's what the meteorite looks like. It's a little bit like people who see Jesus on a potato chip. You know what I'm talking about? Like That's what they see, and they're like, it must be the goddess, and, and they come up with this goddess of fertility, and she's got rows of breasts around her torso, Let me show you the picture. No, I'm kidding. There's no picture of that, okay? I don't need to show you a picture of that. But she's the goddess of fertility. And basically, if you want fertility for your crops, for your cattle, uh, you you pray, you worship the goddess of Artemis. How do you celebrate fertility? Well, we talked about this last week. In Corinth, it's just like in Corinth. You see this giant temple up here? It's over 100,000 square feet, by the way. 100,000 square feet, but inside of it are lots of little rooms. And inside of each little room is a temple priestess. It's just like in Corinth, right? There's a temple priestess, and so they are there to please you sexually. That's what you do when you worship the goddess of fertility. This is a giant erotic club in Ephesus, all right? So in Ephesus, there's a ton of tourism, there's a ton of wealth, there is a ton of sin, A lot is going on in Ephesus. Ephesus and Corinth are these sister cities in the ancient world. And Corinth, if you remember from last week, is really known for, um, well, basically it's many gods. There were gods everywhere. There were idols everywhere, all kinds of different gods. They were known for their philosophical debate, Aristotle, Plato, uh, Socrates. They were all, you know, kind of debating in the public. But Ephesus, and of course, Corinth was known for its sexuality too. They had a very similar temple like this, the temple of Aphrodite, where the same thing was happening. Ephesus is not only known for its sexuality, but it's also known for its dark magic, the occult, its incantations, right, and sorcerers. So if you were walking through Ephesus, you could buy a blessing or a curse, and a blessing or a curse would would be something like this. It would be a little scroll that somebody would hand to a sorcerer, and the sorcerer would write out a, a, a... Basically an incantation would write out a spell and then they would roll it back up and they would sell it to you for a coin. And you'd take this, you'd take this and you would hold on to it. In fact, you'd keep it with you all day. You'd keep it close to your skin so that all day long it would bless you. Now for another coin, you could basically get a curse done in the same way. And you could take out a scroll and have a sorcerer write out a curse. And you would take that curse and you would roll it up and you would give it to your enemy. I wouldn't take it if I were you. But you would, you would give it to your enemy or you would hide it in your enemy's clothes. Or you would, or you, would you know, kind of lay it in or, or bury it in their field. And in their field, basically you would be cursing their crop with that kind of a, uh, basically a blessing or a curse, right? And so in Ephesus, if you go to Ephesus, you can buy blessings, you can buy curses. The other thing you can buy is, if you want a souvenir from Ephesus, is you can buy these little uh, statues. And these little statues are to bless, they're statues of the goddess Artemis, and they are to bless your home. So when you take it home with you, you're going to put a blessing on your home, so you buy a, a, a tiny little... Uh, Statue of Artemis And you put it up on a shelf in your home And it's going to bless your home You put it in your bedroom so you'll have kids You put it in your field so that your crops will come in well And so that's what you would do And so they would sculpt these little figurines from silver And they would sell them by the thousands How many people have ever been to a tourist city Where you walk into souvenir shop After souvenir shop After souvenir shop And everywhere you go there's blessings There's curses There's statues There's blessings There's curses There's statues This is Ephesus. That's what Ephesus is like. In fact, uh, Shakespeare, centuries later, as he's writing one of his plays, would say this about Ephesus. Ephesus is full of the dark-working sorcerers that change the minds of men. Are you getting a picture of Ephesus? I'm doing my very best to paint you a picture of Ephesus. This is the setting. And in Ephesus, there is this little, balding, pointy nose guy who's begun teaching and his name is Paul and people are starting to notice this guy Paul and they're gathering to hear him teach and and he has some strange ideas but even more than the strange ideas of this guy Paul very strange things are starting to happen around this group of people and they seem a little bit like magic they seem a little bit like miracles And so that's where we pick up the story today. We're going to jump into Acts. Buckle up, people. Everybody symbolically buckle up. Buckle up. There we go. Give me that buckle up. Everybody buckle up. Because we're going to go hard and fast through this. Acts chapter 19. Take a listen to this. Because it starts with 12 men. It starts with these 12 men. And it says this in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 2. Did you receive the who? The Holy Spirit, when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a what? Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he said. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later. Meaning who? Jesus. This is important. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of who? The Lord Jesus. Then, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Last week we left off in Ephesus, if you remember a little bit there. Paul went there for just a minute, but then he continued on home. He left behind Priscilla and Aquila and this young guy by the name of Apollos who was preaching about basically this Jesus. right? But he too had been preaching only about the baptism of John. He didn't know about the baptism of Jesus. He didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and say, hey, buddy, let us tell you about Jesus. And so these guys are the same deal. They have experienced the baptism of John. Here's the deal. There was nothing wrong with the baptism of John. The baptism of John was part of it. But they didn't understand who Jesus was and what he had to offer. And so basically, they got baptized again. And when they did, they got baptized into the name of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now... Why did that happen? Why is this a part of the story? Well, I'll tell you what. In Ephesus, where black magic and miracles and, and incantations and supernatural things were important, God was going to use speaking in tongues and these men prophesying in order to get the attention of the, of the word there. And so they, this tangible sign of the Spirit came out. Now, we don't know what happened to these 12 men. We're not going to see them ever again in the text. But it's one of those things where we see the pouring out of the Holy Spirit begins this supernatural phenomenon that is going to get the attention of this place called Ephesus. And these miracles and magic and these followers of Jesus are are starting to see that happen. And and the name of Jesus is getting more and more well-known, including to these guys. The seven sons of Sceva. Seven sons of Sceva. That sounds like an ancient boys band name, doesn't it? Seven sons of Sceva. Hey, baby, will you be my Artemis, right? Seven sons of Sceva. Check out the seven sons of Sceva, though, in Acts chapter 19, verse 8. It says, then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months. That's what he always does. Arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became what? Stubborn. This happens everywhere he goes. Some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against what? That's going to become important. They're speaking against what? The way, the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the hall, lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next how long? Two years. Paul's been there for two years now. It's one of those places that he stayed a long time in Ephesus. So that people throughout the province of Asia, which I told you is that whole area there, both Jews and Greeks heard the word of the Lord. They heard the word of the Lord. And God gave Paul the power to perform what? Unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely what touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. So the miracles keep on coming. In fact, these people were used to this kind of miracle, right? I mean, you held, a, you held this you know, next to your skin because you wanted a blessing, right? Well, this guy, Paul... This guy, Paul, when anything touches his skin, a handkerchief, an apron, anything like that, he can do that too. Only guess what? He didn't even need to be there. They can have a piece of uh, of cloth that touched his skin, and you can bring it across town and touch it to your sick mother-in-law, and she gets well. And and it's, it's unbelievable. It's magic. It's like magic. You can see why this is happening. And it's all going on in the name of this guy, Jesus. Now, listen to what happens. It continues on. Verse 13, a group of Jews was traveling from town to town. What were they doing? They were casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to what? I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest. That's Sceva the priest. We're doing this. But one time when they tried it, The evil spirit, this is going to get nuts, replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but what? Who are you? I don't know you. I don't know you. Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Seven sons of Skiva. These guys are not a boy band. They are more like the Ghostbusters, okay? That's what they're doing. They're selling their services as the Ghostbusters to get rid of things, right? Are you troubled by strange noises in your attic in the middle of the night? Call the seven sons of Skiva. We got you. Who are you gonna call? Seven Sons of Skiva, right? That's who you're gonna call. They're the Ghostbusters, basically. But this time they can't cast out a demon. This one's a pesky little bugger. We can't cast him out. So they decide, hey, let's use that name. You know the name where the miracles have been happening in town? Let's just, let's just try it. Why not? In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come on out. And then they hear the voice of the demon. How many people think you would be freaked out at this moment? You know what I'm talking about, the voice of the demon? You should know what the voice of the demon sounds like. We have it in every horror movie that's ever been done. Can you imagine the voice of the demon speaking back to these guys, I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? And then he gives them such a beatdown that they, can you imagine this? Anybody else have this story in Sunday school? We skipped over this in Sunday school, didn't we? You know, when you get coloring sheets for, you know, Daniel and the lion's den and the fiery furnace, nobody ever gave me a look, seven sons of Sceva, oh my, right? You don't, you don't do that. But, but this story is one of those crazy stories, right? And all seven of them, them get beat down and they emerge naked and bleeding, right? Seven, you think the seven sons of Sceva ever did any more ghost busting? No, 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 they did not. I'm sure they were like, uh-uh, we ain't playing that game no more. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 19. It says, the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus. To Jews and Greeks alike, a solemn fear descended on the city. And the name of who? The Lord Jesus was greatly what? Was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. And a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their, get this, they brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was how much? Several million dollars. Several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Get this, even in trying to use the name of Jesus, using it improperly, getting the stuffing beat out of them, the name of Jesus was lifted up. The name of Jesus became more and more famous. And in this place, Ephesus, where they had seen so many magic and and incantations and miracles and changed lives, they began to recognize the name of Jesus was actually the name with power and they began to burn their scrolls they began to burn their incantation books and they had a book burning in the street. Now, I want you to imagine this in a place like Las Vegas where people start bringing out their pornography or their, or their magic or whatever and they start burning them in the streets. In the scriptures it says, the New Living Translation accurately translates this because it was 50,000 pieces of silver. A piece of silver was an average day's wage for a man. So in today's dollars, it would be $13.5 million being burned in the street. Does anybody know anything that would cause people to burn $13 million in the street? Anything at all? The name of Jesus caused that to happen. The name of Jesus caused that to happen. This was a deeply evil place. With lots of demon possession, dark magic, and and the occult and incantations. And Paul would later write back to this church and remind them that there are very real powers. There is very real darkness. We live in a dark world with dark Spiritual battles going on in that realm. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, for we are not fighting against what? We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against what? Evil rulers. And what else? Authorities. Where? Of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this what? Dark world. And against What? evil spirits in the heavenly places now before you write off these ancient people before you write them off as superstitious they don't know anything that battle is still going on there is a dark battle of evil and oppression in our world today you could think we're above it but we're not it is happening here and basically the, i don't know about you guys but i won't see horror movies Have you anybody watched those movies? Actually, this is the worst. Anybody go to the regular movies and you get stuck in a trailer for one of those movies, right? And the, and the, the trailer for the movie is so disturbing that you're like, oh my gosh, what did I just, and you can feel evil. You can, you can sense it around you. And, and I won't watch those things because I've read enough of the Bible to know that that stuff is real, that there is real demon possession, that there is real uh, powers, and, and, you know, I ain't going to see the exorcism of whoever. I'm not going to see the haunting. I'm not going to see evil dead, or I'm not going to see Barbie. I'm not, I'm just, I'm kidding about the Barbie, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, just because I'll get caught in the trailer, and I'll be, ah, my eyes, right? I get very nervous during those trailers Because I take that stuff seriously There are dark powers There are evil spirits there are de- Demon possession is real And we see them so clearly here in scripture But listen to how the story continues Because this is where we come to a climax of our story And it involves The union boss, the mob, and the politician The union boss, the mob, and the politician I know you never saw that coming, did you? Here we go, verse 23. It says this about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning what? The way. I love the way. I love the way they say the way. It began with a guy by the name of Demetrius. Demetrius was a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess who? Artemis. He's making these little idols, these shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. And he kept many craftsmen busy. Business was good for Demetrius. And he called them together, along with other employed in similar trades. And he basically addressed them as follows. Listen to what he says. He says, gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all and he's done this not only here in Ephesus but throughout the entire province right and of course i'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business by the way i'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess artemis will lose its what it's going to lose its influence and also That Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be what? Robbed of her what? She'll be robbed of her great prestige. Now, this may be the very first union meeting in the history of the world that we've seen. All right? And so Demetrius is unhappy because business is dropping off. Demetrius is like, have you seen the quarterlies? Have Have you looked at your sales? Are you down this quarter like I am? I'm down, man. I don't know what's going on around here. And he calls together all the silversmiths and he says, man, what's your P&L look like? What's your profit and loss look like? What's going on? Are you kidding me? Are these numbers really right? Because I'm getting hammered here. And people are getting healed and lives are being changed and people are trusting Jesus for salvation and this church in Ephesus is growing and every time somebody starts trusting Jesus, you know what they stop doing? They stop buying idols. They stop buying scrolls and curses and blessing and business is plummeting. And so Demetrius and these other silversmiths who know what's going on in the street they have seen the the book burning in the street right and i can only imagine that while they're walking by this this burning you know ash of all the incantation books and scrolls that maybe as they kicked around in the bottom they said hey those those are some of our idols like they're melted down in the bottom of that thing they're burning our idols. And I can only imagine that they are thinking to themselves, instead of thinking, what is going on that people would burn all this stuff? Why are these people following the way? Why are people following this weird little guy, Paul? They say, man, this is hurting our business. We better do something about it. Oh, yeah. And the goddess is going to be robbed of her prestige. Let me ask you, you think the goddess being robbed of her prestige was his motivation? No. No. You want to know how we know that? Because he immediately went to his silversmith buddies and said, we got to get together. we got to stop the profit and loss from going down, right? That was his motivator, right? And and you could tell that by who he called together, right? And so he gets his silversmiths together, and they say, hey, we're losing money, man, and the goddess is being robbed of her prestige. Let me ask you this question. What kind of goddess is a goddess that can be robbed of their prestige? It's not much of a god, right? It's a little bit like the Avengers movie with Hulk boom, 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 puny God, right? That's not a God if it's a God that can be robbed of its prestige. So Demetrius gets a crowd together and they form a mob. Listen to this. There we go. At this, they are what? Anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with what? Confusion and everyone rushed to the where? Where? amphitheater, this giant amphitheater. They're all going to the sphere, dragging along with them Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers basically wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul's, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Picture the amphitheater, 24,000 strong, screaming that. Inside, the people were all shouting, Some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them, what? Didn't even know why they were there. They didn't even know why they were there. Benjamin Franklin once said, a mob is a monster with heads enough but no brains. That's what a mob looks like. So I want you to imagine 24,000 people chanting in this amphitheater. Great Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And some other people are walking in and they're like yeah and I'm mad too. Right? And they don't know why why are we mad? Cuz uh, yeah, great is our, I I don't know. I'm mad. I'm just mad. And, and a mob is like that. Everybody gets swept up into it, and everybody gets ticked off. And, and they, they couldn't find Paul, so they dragged these other two guys in, right? And, and, the, and Paul wanted to go in. Paul wanted to go in, but they held him back. We don't know why Paul wasn't allowed to go in, but Paul, I'm sure, I know Paul, I've known enough of Paul to see him, where Paul saw 24,000 people gathered, chanting and screaming, and he thought, are you kidding me? Can I talk to 24,000 people right now? But God prevented that from happening. We don't know why. I do know this. God is in control. God had his reasons. Maybe they would have actually killed Paul in this particular environment, and God wasn't done with him yet. So just then, at the very end of this scene, the mayor of Artemis steps forward, and this is what the mayor says. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, like a good politician. Everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian Of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should what? Stay calm calm and do not do anything Rash. rash. You have brought these men here, but they have what? Stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against the goddess. So he says, in true political fashion, the mayor says, Everybody calm down, calm down, calm down. There's been a two-hour riot going on in the amphitheater, one of the biggest gathering places in all of Ephesus. He goes, calm down. You want to know why he says calm down? Because if anybody hears about this, and they're going to hear about it because there's 24,000 of you, it's going to get back to Rome. And when Rome finds out about this, they're going to march some armies down here. They are going to crack heads. And I'm the mayor. I can't have that on my watch. I'm not having a riot on my watch. You guys calm down. By the way, they haven't done anything. They haven't haven't spoken against Diana or or Artemis. They haven't defiled the temple. They haven't done anything that they could be held responsible for. By the way, silversmith guys, if you're ticked off about it, take them to court. You can take them to court. What's your argument going to be? They're doing miracles that are better than your miracles, and now you can't sell your idols? That's a tough sell. But they haven't done anything wrong. So that's the story. I'm exhausted. Are you exhausted? That's the story. I want to pull out some so what's for us today um, and and hopefully take a look at this. So everybody join me. That leads me to... So what, Steve? What do we do with this? Oh, we go to midweek. Okay. Here's here's what I want you to see. The thing that jumps off the page at me is this idea of they are people of the way. And I love that term. People of the way. Because this is important these are people of the it's, not the, it's not a way, it's not another way. These are the people of the one true way. That's what they're selling. We are people of the way. And in a world where there are many gods, in a world where there are all kinds of temples, uh, we are not a way, we are not another way, we are the way. And Jesus himself said it that way. Jesus himself in John chapter 14 says, Jesus told him, I am what? The way, and what else? The truth, and what else? The life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That is a bold claim in in the ancient world, where idols and gods are everywhere. And you say, You're the only way? Is that what you're saying? You're the only way? It takes real moxie to claim that Jesus is the way and that you are the people of the way. So I want you to see some characteristics of the people of the way that we see here in this story today and ask you to apply it to your own life. Here's the first thing we know about the people of the way. People of the way are first of all filled with the Holy Spirit. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, we see that it says, the Holy Spirit came upon them, these 12 men. Now, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit all year long. In fact, Acts of the Apostles is sort of a silly name for this book because it's Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. That's what's happening this holy spirit that we talk about is the very first thing given to a believer when you believe that jesus is who he says he was that god gave his son and he lived a sinless life and died for you on the cross and rose again and you say i want to embrace that i believe that the very first gift you are given is the holy spirit and the holy spirit comes to live inside of you um and these 12 guys are given the holy spirit now when I try to describe the Holy Spirit to people, it's one of those things that I don't know how to describe other than to say, you know it when you know it. Like you understand, I-, I had somebody recently say, leadership is one of those things that's in somebody or it's not. You can just see it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you could see a leader when you-, when you meet them. You're like, oh yeah, that person's a leader. I can just tell. The Holy Spirit is one of those same, once the Spirit has been given to you, you can just see the Spirit inside of people. They begin to change They begin to think godly things and and speak godly words and do godly things because it's, it's leaking out of them. The Holy Spirit is the very first thing that you give. And you begin to see it because it starts leaking out of you. It's nothing that you're doing. You're not just being a good little boy. You're not being better. Oh, you're being better. No, it's the Holy Spirit is leaking out of you and you just can't help but be uh, filled with God. Does that mean you don't struggle anymore? No. Does that mean you don't battle doubt? No, you still do. But with the Holy Spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit can overwhelm those feelings of temptation to those feelings of doubt. And he can begin to uh, rise up and defeat those things in you. The real question is, are you allowing that Holy Spirit to move in and through you? Are you having daily conversations with the Holy Spirit? And I don't even mean daily. For me, it's minute to minute. I'll say, Holy Spirit, is, am I supposed to say something right now to this guy? God, do you want me to, to, to take this appointment? God, you know, Holy Spirit, give me the words because I'm not exactly sure what to say to this person who's hurting. Show me how to love them in that moment. And I'm talking about people I walk by in the morning who are homeless. How do I engage this person right now, Holy Spirit? Give me an answer. If this Holy Spirit thing sounds weird and superstitious and spiritual and supernatural, it is, it is. It's supernatural. I don't know how else to describe it except the Holy Spirit is the root of being the people of the way. And you need the Spirit inside of you. The second thing about the people of the way Is this, people of the way know Jesus, they don't just know of Jesus. They know Jesus, they don't just know of Jesus. And we saw that in the seven sons of Sceva, right? In verse 13, it basically said they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantations. And there is a profound difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There is a profound difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Now listen, some of you today may be sitting here and you are searching. You are not sure what you believe yet. Can I just tell you something? I would love for you to know about Jesus first. Let us tell you about this Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of history. The Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago and we're still talking about him today. Let me tell you about this Jesus. But there will come a point where you have to make a decision. Are you going to follow this Jesus? Are you going to know him personally? And that's what we're talking about here seven sons of Sceva did not know Jesus they just thought I'm going to use him as a as a good luck charm I'm going to rub my little rabbit's foot Jesus 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 be out and it didn't work because they didn't know Jesus and the demon knew they didn't know Jesus the demon said you don't know Jesus I know Jesus I'm afraid of Jesus I ain't messing with Jesus that guy Paul I'm a little worried about him too he knows Jesus but you guys you don't know Jesus it is very important that you know Jesus, right? And maybe you're here today and you're just checking out. Maybe you're here because you're desperate. Your marriage is on the brink. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you and in they say so you just gotta see what God is doing over at First Baptist. Let me tell you, we want to show you this Jesus. We want to give him to you. But there will come a day where you have to choose to be in a relationship with him. So stick around. to uh, Do you wanna know how many followers there are today? Uh, of Artemis, Artemisians, do you know how many there are? None. You know how many followers there are of Jesus? 2.5 billion. Power's in the name of Jesus. Power's in the name of Jesus. All right? Uh, and once you make him your Savior and your Lord, you're going to move on to knowing him. Now, here's one more thing. And uh, people of the way have changed lives that change others' lives. The way this whole thing got started was, it says a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. In case you didn't get it, yeah, you could see they, these guys, their lives have been so changed that they were like, I don't even need these anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burn them. And, and when, you know, when your best friend or your coworker or your aunt or your uncle or your nephew was like, what are you doing in the street? They're burning things. They're like, let me tell you, because this guy, Jesus, has changed my life, and I don't need him anymore, right? The, the, The most identifying factor of people of the way is they are changed. They are not who they used to be. They used to be selfish, and now they're selfless. They used to be stingy, and now they're generous. They used to be rude and cruel, and now they are kind and gentle. People of the way are people who have been changed, and they're changing other people by the way that they're doing that. Their addictions have been set free. Their broken marriages are being healed. That's what people of the way are. They're people who are being changed. And then the last one is this. People of the way are known for who they follow, not what they are against. Who they follow, not what they are against. And we see this in this last part with the mayor. And we see that he says they have what? They've stolen nothing from our temple. And they have not what? Spoken against our goddess. This is the one that I think is actually really important for us today. I actually think this is really important for people of the way today. That we are no more for who we are for. That we are no more for Jesus than we are for what we stand against. You want to know who was known for what they stand against? It was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known for what they stood against. These Jews, or these Jesus followers of the way in Ephesus, they were known for what they were for. This movement swept across Ephesus. People are getting saved. People are following this teachings of Jesus. And it's happening. I want you to understand this. All of this is happening down in Ephesus in the shadow of the temple of Artemis. Up on this hill is the temple of Artemis that stands for everything that they are against. It stands for a false god. It stands for idol worship. It stands for sexual immorality. It stands for all kinds. The occult is surrounding them. That is what is in this. It's literally they're in the shadow of that every day. And they couldn't be held blameless because they never spoke against it. Instead, they just kept loving people. And right now... And this is our world. I don't know why it is, but it is. What if Christians, instead of screaming about abortion, instead loved young ladies that were in crisis so well that abortion levels just dropped? What if every time we saw a homeless person, instead of going to city council and saying, we got to do something and something's got to be changed, we loved homeless people so well that they found their way out of addictions, they found their way out of mental health, and they found their way to a place that was stable and good in their life. What if every time we saw somebody who was wrestling with addiction, instead of walking on the other side of the street, we said, I'm gonna step into the pain, I'm going to love them the way that Jesus loved me, and I'm going to help them walk out of that. What if instead of screaming at the top of our lungs about the things that we're against, we instead loved people with the love of Jesus and changed the whole world because of it? What if that's how it happened? Will we be known by what, who we are for rather than what we're against? God, would you birth this in us Father, we want to be the people of the way that are described here. In this hostile culture of Ephesus, God, would you move in our hearts and in our minds, would you create in us goodness, kindness, gentleness, God, the fruit of the Spirit. May the Holy Spirit dwell within us. May it then leak out onto the world around us, God, and may your name be glorified. May we know your name, God, and then may we... Give your name to the people around us, and may our changed lives change other lives, God, and may a world that is lost and in the shadow of evil, in the shadow of darkness, in the shadow of sin, be won over by your people of the way, because you are at the root. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.